Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to say welcome to those of you who are part of the Bible Center family, those of you who are joining us on TV, those of you who are joining us online. Thank you so much, Bible Center family, for uh, being a part of our service today. also want to thank those of you who are here in person. Thank you for joining us. And in a moment, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. And so if you'd like to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2 in your Bible or your Bible app, feel free to do that. I was thinking this week that I am so thankful for the diversity of people, the diversity expressed in our church family. Here in our church family, we have men and women, boys and girls, young and old, African Americans, Irish Americans, Asian Americans, short people, tall people, Marshall fans, WVU fans. We even have a few Ohio State fans that we've allowed to be part of our church upon much prayer. We have a couple even on staff. Uh, But our church is filled uh, with a number of different kinds of people, and I'm so thankful for that. But there's one thing that all of us have in common. There's one thing we all have in common, not only this time of year, but actually every year and every moment of the year, and that's simply this. We all have a desire to love and be loved. We all have a desire to love and be loved. The desire for love is one of the most driving forces of life. It's what drives us to watch the sitcoms that we watch, to check into the Netflix and Hulu shows that we prefer, or even to subscribe to the Hallmark Channel, those of you who do that. A desire for love is what funds online dating and our fascination with Ancestry.com. Ultimately, it's our desire for love that drives us to read the books, many of the books that we read. From Steinbeck's East of Eden and Hemingway's For Whom the Bell Tolls to D.H. Lawrence's Sons and Lovers and George Bernard Shaw's Major Barbara and St. John. If you're watching online or on TV, I would encourage you just right there on the Bible Center uh, social media page just to write one, maybe your favorite book or your favorite author. We all have them. But sometimes people make poor decisions, unfortunately, in search for love. Some have shipwrecked their lives, chasing fantasies and lying to themselves in hopes that the right person will somehow finally make them happy. Ultimately, it's a search for love that makes Pornhub, the multi-billion dollar company, the rich company that it is. Now, whether our appetites be wholesome or unhealthy, whether we simply have self-esteem issues or even deep self-medicating issues, we all have a desire for love and seem to be driven by it. So how in the world, if we have such deep desire, how can any of us ever be satisfied? How can any of us ever find fulfillment to our deepest cravings in life? How can we find satisfying love? Well, thankfully, the Bible has the answer. From cover to cover in the scriptures, there's this grand story of love. And and so today, very clearly, I pray, I'm going to communicate what the Bible says about how to find that kind of satisfaction, how to find that type of fulfillment. 
Here's the big idea today. This is what I would like us to remember. Christmas is the love story we all crave. Christmas is the love story we all crave. In a world full of heroes and villains and comedies and tragedies and twists of fate and surprise endings, there really only is one story. There's only one grand narrative that encompasses all other stories on earth. Theologians for years have called it the redemption story or redemption history. Generations ago, hymn writers called it the old, old story. And so in the next few minutes, I'm going to retell for you the old, old story of Christmas. I'm going to retell it in a new way, but I pray that it points to love and love alone that can satisfy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is the love story we all crave. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, the familiar Christmas story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to a firstborn, her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, always imagine this part, shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. So what is the true love story of Christmas? Well, first of all, the true love story of Christmas is this. If you're taking notes, there really is an eternal supernatural world. There really is an eternal supernatural world. You can also find the notes uh, on the Bible Center app. In many ways, this first movement of the story gives us the setting of where the rest of the story takes place. Actually, it tells us how the Christmas story began, and it did not begin in a manger in Bethlehem. According to Revelation 13.8, the story of Christmas, the idea of Christmas, originated in God's mind in eternity past. Have you ever stopped to think about what existed prior to Genesis 1.1? Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that means prior to Genesis 1-1, there was something. There was God. 
And because God existed, then in him and him alone, the eternal and the supernatural have always existed. Even in our created world, we live in a very spiritual, supernatural world. In our world, according to the Bible, there are angels, there are demons, there's heaven, and there's hell. There's this supernatural, eternal element that way down deep in all human beings we're very aware of. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 15 says, God has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. There's something about that the way we're made that we know there's something supernatural. There's more than meets the eye to this world. This shows up in no better place than in the stories that we tell. The stories that we read, the stories we listen to, and the stories we watch. All our personal stories, our fiction, our literature, our television shows, our movies point to this spark of eternity that still simmers in our hearts. So stories help give us the sense of place in this grand, eternal, supernatural world. Think about what stories do for you. Stories stir our imaginations and they help us experience love and betrayal and hatred and compassion that might have otherwise be foreign to us. Stories prepare us for experiences like suffering and sorrow. The way we understand our lives, our relationships, our past, our future is all tied up in story. Even the way we, we experience fairy tales and fantasies. Think with me, first of all, to Beauty and the Beast. So we got Beauty and the Beast. You say, what can we learn from Beauty and the Beast? Well, it tells us that there's a love that can break us out of the beastliness that we all have created for ourselves. Even in a story like Beauty and the Beast, there's these elements of almost this residue of truth echoes deep into our hearts. Sleeping beauty tells us that we're in this kind of sleeping enchantment and there's a noble prince who will one day come and destroy it. We hear these stories and they stir us because deep within us our hearts believe or we want our hearts to believe that these things are true that death should not be the end, that we should not lose loved ones, that one day evil won't triumph, but good will triumph. Critics of the supernatural don't like these ideas. Critics of the supernatural will insist that if you give yourself to fairy tales and you really believe in moral absolutes or if you believe in the supernatural world and the idea even of living somewhere forever that you're not living in reality, or that perhaps it's even cowardly. Yet, though they say that, Hollywood keeps churning out, they keep pumping out more and more stories, or they keep remaking the same old fairy tales in different ways. Why is it that we hunger for the supernatural? It's because deep in our hearts, there's a desire to escape death. Deep in our hearts, God has put it in there for us to know a love that can satisfy. 
For us, this desire for us not to want to age or to live somewhere forever, even the desire in children and even some adults, the desire to fly, to communicate with non-human beings, to one day triumph over evil. I believe all of this is what Ecclesiastes 3.15 says, that God has put eternity in our hearts. You've probably seen the old movie Hook. It was a movie that was around when I was a little guy. Uh, In the movie, you've got Maggie Smith, who plays an elderly Wendy from the Peter Pan story. And she addresses the Robin Williams Peter Pan figure. Robin Williams has this sense of amnesia in this movie. Loves seeing, seeing his movies. He has this sense of amnesia where he's forgotten that one day in the past, he was actually Peter Pan. And there's a moment in the movie, it's my favorite part, where Wendy, Maggie Smith, looks right at Robin Williams, right at the elderly Peter Pan or the older Peter Pan, and she says this, Peter, the stories are true. The stories are true. Now this time of year, we love to hear the Christmas story. We love to hear about noble Joseph and humble Mary. And we love to hear about the shepherds and the wise men who traveled from afar. All these beautiful stories of Christmas. But the reason and the only reason that story can be the one true story is because there really is an eternal supernatural world. There really is an eternal supernatural world. Number two, the second movement in our story is this. The good king and the evil sorcerer really do exist. The good king and the evil sorcerer really do exist. So we've already set the stage for this setting. We know it happens in this eternal supernatural world. But let's think now about two of the main characters. Not the only characters, but you have the good king and the evil sorcerer. Now, I'll say right at the beginning that according to the biblical story, the good king and the evil sorcerer in the Bible narrative are not equal. They're not like exactly equal to where it's 50-50. No, we're going to learn that the good king, being God himself, being the Lord Jesus Christ, actually created the character that eventually would turn and become the evil sorcerer. But who is the good king? The good king, the protagonist, in the Bible story is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the antagonist, the evil sorcerer, so-called, in the Bible story is none other than Lucifer, who is also called Satan or the devil. I'm convinced that the knowledge of this king and the evil sorcerer is written indelibly on the conscience of every man, woman, and child. Romans 1 declares at the very minimum that every human possesses the knowledge of God's reality, though many choose to suppress and ignore it. Think about our fascination with kings in the world. Kings and queens and princes and princesses. This is why we love it when Kate or Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, wife of Prince William, has another child. There's something about it. The world is mesmerized by by who will be the next king. It's why we lose our minds in election years, because there's something inside of us, way down deep, that longs for a leader, the leader, to save us from ourselves. 
It's why the legend of King Arthur has endured for so long. But unfortunately, we're not only fascinated with the good king, we also have this fascination with the evil sorcerer. I have watched way too many Netflix documentaries on Hitler. My wife will come in and like, honey, what are you watching? Another documentary on Hitler. There's like a million of them on Netflix. There's just something fascinating about it. It's like I've heard the story before, not only in, in history, human history, but even in spiritual history. It's why we're so mesmerized with the stories of Lenin and Stalin and Pol Pot and Castro and Kim Jong-il and Kim Jong-un and so many others. It's because the good king and the evil sorcerer in the biblical narrative really do exist. Thirdly in our story, number three, once upon a time, all of humanity was blinded by an evil spell. Once upon a time, all of humanity was blinded by an evil spell. Now, the first two chapters of the Bible give us what it was like for Adam and Eve prior to their sin in the Garden of Eden. There's only two chapters in the whole Bible that tell us what creation was like prior to the fall. Those were the good old days, as they say. But the paradise of Eden was how the world was meant to be. It wasn't merely a garden, just the Garden of Eden. It was also holy ground. It was a sacred place, almost like a, an outdoor temple where men and women were to live in harmony with God and with creation. They were to live in harmony, shalom, with work and food and sex and relationships and rest without any sin or any suffering. But by Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve didn't remain innocent for long. On one very bad day, they ate the only tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. It was a terrible day. The day in Genesis chapter 3 was actually the second worst day in human history. The second worst day in human history. You say, what was the worst day? We'll see it in a moment. A snake tricked Adam and Eve and told them a lie about the fruit. He said that they would be like God if they ate it. But actually, the very opposite was true. When they ate the fruit, they were separated from God. God wasn't happy with Adam and Eve. He wasn't happy with the serpent. Because they disobeyed, God could put a curse on man and woman and the snake and everything else in creation. He kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden paradise he had made for them. It wasn't possible for people so bad to live with a God who's so good, which is why they had to leave the Garden of Eden. And ever since that day, Adam and Eve and all their descendants, including the person sitting next to you, including the person sitting in your seat and standing on this platform, all of us have longed to get back to Eden. We long for the spell to be broken. And whether we know it or not, we long for what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. This evil spell is why, even on our best days, even on our happiest days, it's impossible for them to be perfect days. If you've ever gone to Disney World with little children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
You see the billboards, you, you, see the, the, you see the commercials, you see the announcements pop up, the advertisements pop up online. Bring your children, bond with your children. One of my friends took his little toddlers to Disney World and, and they just kept throwing a temper tantrum because all they wanted to do was ride the carousel. He said that was the most expensive carousel he'd ever paid for for a week in his life. Uh, but even on our best days, we are very aware that we are still affected by sin. Even in the very best days, a married couple may go to some tropical paradise and, and World War III can break out in the, in the hotel room because they take their sin. We take our sin nature with us. The evil spell is why our stories almost always contain an antagonist, an enemy. Stephen King says that we make up horrors to help us cope with the real ones. This evil spell is why the world is like it is today. It's why we experience hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. It's why we have cancer and diabetes and heart disease. It's why we have COVID-19. It's why children get leukemia. It's why a loving father died in an accident at a chemical plant here this past week in the eastern side of Kanawha County. It's why an innocent bystander is killed in a shooting. This evil spell is why people use good inventions, like the Wright brothers' invention, to murder thousands of people on 9-11. Or, or it's why, why the Nazis used the beautiful invention of the train to their advantage to haul thousands, actually millions of people to their death camps. This evil spell is why there's darkness in our hearts today. I love what Fleming Rutledge says. He says, without an unflinching understanding of the radical nature of evil, Christian faith, our Christian faith, would be nothing but a suburban bedtime story. You say, Pastor Matt, it seems like whenever you talk about the story of Christmas or even the story of the gospel, you, you always mention how we're broken and how we're, we're sinners. Why do you do that? Because people who aren't sick don't need a doctor. And people who are sinless don't need a savior. But God is very honest with us, thankfully. And according to Genesis chapter 3, in its own words, once upon a time, all of humanity was blinded by an evil spell. What is the next movement to the story of Christmas? Number four. Number four. But at Christmas, the heroic king punched a hole between his world and ours, coming to save us from the evil spell. At Christmas, the heroic king, I love this, punched a hole between his world and ours, coming to save us from the evil spell. I'm so glad, the evil sorcerer, I'm so glad that sin, I'm so glad, as you know, Satan doesn't have the final word. But I'm thankful that Jesus came to us on that first Christmas to be our Savior to be our heroic king. You know, there's something in all of us that longs for a king. 
We long for a hero. We long for someone to save us. It's why we keep watching Batman that's been like remade 2,000 times since I was a kid. It's why we love Superman and Spider-Man and the Hulk. It's why we love reading the stories of, of Odysseus and Hercules and Beowulf and Sleeping Beauty's Prince Philip and Luke Skywalker and James Bond. It's why we're enamored with Jason Bourne and Katniss Everdeen and Harry Potter. If you're, again, watching online or on TV, I would encourage you right there uh, on our page, one of our social media pages, to write your favorite hero, maybe somebody you read as a child or someone you've recently enjoyed watching, somebody that I haven't mentioned already in the message. But you see, the story of the hero ultimately points to the one true hero. You see, Jesus is the only true hero with a qualified resume to save us, transform us, and one day restore us. He's the only hero qualified in reality to do this. At Christmas, it's at Christmas where we see the real deliverer, the real judge, the real conqueror. No one understood it completely at the time, but when Mary delivered that baby, God delivered into the world the long-expected prophet, priest, and king. Best of all, God delivered to us a Savior. I've not been to Bethlehem. Some of us were in Israel earlier this year, and we look forward to going to Bethlehem in 2022. We've already got plans, Lord willing, Everything will be safe for us to travel by then. But I look forward to seeing where they really believe Jesus was born. I look forward to seeing those shepherd fields. But you know, the surprising thing about Christmas is that Jesus didn't come in the manner that most kings would come. Listen to what Jerome says. Jerome wrote this about 400 years after Christ. He says, Jesus found no room in the Holy of Holies that shone with gold, precious stones, pure silk and silver. He is born not in the midst of gold and riches, but in the midst of dung. Think of that. He was in a stable. It was where our sins were more filthy than the dung. He is born on a dunghill in order to lift up those who come from it. From a dunghill, he lifts up the poor. Jesus born in a stable. Jesus, lying in a manger, grows up to live this sinless life. And as the one true hero, not only did he walk in perfection, but he did things that nobody else could do. He walked on water. He commanded the waves. He commanded the storms. He could raise the dead. He himself was, was crucified, was buried, and three days later, Jesus rose again. And so as the hero of heroes, it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be saved from your sin. Another way he puts it in Romans chapter 10 is if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Commit your life to Christ right now, right where you sit, right where you stand, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Commit your life to Christ. Give yourself to him to be his follower 
Follow him all the days of your life. If you're choosing today to follow Jesus, if you would let me know, let us know right there on our social media page. If, if you would just simply make a note, just check, click that button that you're choosing to follow Jesus, our online pastor, Pastor Matt Garrison, will confidentially and compassionately follow up with you and help connect you with what you need to grow in your faith. Thankfully at Christmas, the heroic king punched a hole between his world and ours coming to save us from the evil spell. Lastly, number five, evil and death will ultimately lose, the king will ultimately win, and his followers will live happily ever after with him. Evil will ultimately lose, the king will win, and we'll live happily ever after with him. The last two chapters of the Bible, if you're taking notes, Revelation 21 and 22, talk all about the fact that we're going to live with the Lord forever. All of creation will be made new. God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth one day. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory, talking about that day when God makes all things new. He says, the door on which we have been knocking all of our lives will open at last. Believers will be resurrected to glorified bodies. We will get to live in this eternal place the way God had intended originally for creation to be. I love what, in the return of the king, what Sam asked Gandalf. He says there at the end, is everything sad going to come untrue? And that's a great line, a great question for us as we contemplate the end of time. Is everything sad going to come true when God makes all things new? This past week, I got to speak at Bible Center Schools Elementary. I love it when they asked me to, to share. And so I got to speak first to the elementary and then to the middle school. And so because we're all socially distanced, we, so they spread the kids out all along the bleachers. And there in the, in the gym, I was sharing a little bit of this story, only a version more appropriate to uh, elementary kids, and I got to the end. I was asking questions like, who's your favorite hero? And there's kids, you know, wearing Spider-Man masks and Hulk masks, and, and so you knew who their heroes were. But I got to the end of this part of the message, and I, I asked these little, these, these elementary kids, I said, what is it you're excited for God to take away when he makes all things new? What are you excited about when the new heavens and the new earth come? What are you excited about God taking away? And all around the, the gym, little hands went up. And some said, I'm excited for God to take away world hunger. And I'm excited for God to take away a death and, and all these different ideas. But no one said the coronavirus. Nobody said the pandemic. But they're all wearing masks. And so uh, after a few minutes, nobody was saying it. And I said, there's one thing we're all missing, but it's so obvious. It's, it's touching our faces right now. And there's a reason it's touching our faces. What is it that we want God to take away? And several of them, without even asking, you know, blurted out, the pandemic, COVID-19, the coronavirus. And in that moment, it wasn't in my notes, but I just felt like saying it to these kids. I said, do you know in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more coronavirus? And I was about to finish that sentence and go to my next point. And when I said in the new heavens and new earth, there'll be no more coronavirus, a little group of kindergartners over to my left started doing this. 
And before long, all the elementary kids started clapping. My heart just, I wasn't prepared for that. My heart wasn't prepared for that because even they see it. They long for the day when this is over. But not just this, there'll be something else. Evil and death one day will ultimately lose. The king will ultimately win. And his followers will live happily ever after with him. You say, Pastor Matt, what can we do with a message like this? What what is God inviting us to do? What do you want us to do? Here it is. I want to encourage you to find your ultimate fulfillment in Christ this Christmas. Find your ultimate fulfillment in Christ this Christmas. Now, maybe it's possible that the pandemic hasn't affected you at all. Maybe you're doing quite well. Maybe this is a great year for you. And for many people, it was. I'm very thankful for that. But if, if that's you and things have gone really, really well and you're not really sure what, what all the suffering and the trouble and the tears are about, let me encourage you to find somebody who is having a tough year and just hear their story. Pray with them. Encourage them. But likely, watching and listening today, there are many of you, even you right now, as you watch And listen, you're having a very, very hard year. This Christmas, as you think about the normal joys of Christmas, it's, it's getting overshadowed by masks and physical distancing and loneliness. And maybe you have less disposable income. Maybe you have no family get-together this year, or if you are having a get-together, you're worried that somebody's going to get sick. Maybe somebody's going to die if they come to Christmas dinner. Maybe you're concerned there's no Christmas concerts, there's no Christmas parties, and maybe you're exhausted as a parent or a student, or you're struggling with your mental health, or someone you know may be struggling with their mental health. Maybe you're not able to see your loved ones. This sounds like a small thing, but Sarah and I are really disappointed this year. There's no children's choir at church. We always sit right down here in the front row. We try to get here early before all the little kids' parents. Sorry, little kids' parents. Because we like just watching their faces up close. There's no children's choir this year. Maybe you've lost a loved one this year. Maybe you're a business owner and you're just trying to keep things afloat or you're just trying to, to stay healthy. First of all, I want you to know that, that I can empathize. I can empathize. I sympathize with you. But I also want to encourage you, find your ultimate fulfillment in Christ this Christmas. You say, man, how do we do that? That's a great churchy phrase, but how do we do that? Well, think of it this way. How do you find ultimate fulfillment in somebody else that you love? How do you find ultimate fulfillment in a spouse, in a best friend, in a child, in a parent, in a colleague? How do you find ultimate fulfillment? I would say the simple answer is just go be where they are. Go experience their presence. Spend time with them. Talk to them and and let them talk to you. That's the way we typically experience fulfillment in our other relationships. So I want to encourage you this Christmas to do that with Christ. Go to, to where he is. Spend time in his word. Go to heaven's throne room in prayer. Give him your burdens. Let him speak to your heart. Maybe for you, it's going out in nature, finding a sunny day, and we have them here in West Virginia, even in December, finding a sunny day and, and just looking at God's 
revelation in nature, natural revelation. Or maybe you're not able to be with the people you love, but maybe it's your fine community, Christian community, through Zoom or through FaceTime, just through a phone call. Why is it that I want to encourage you to find your ultimate fulfillment in Christ this Christmas? It's simply this. Because Christmas is the love story we all crave. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.